Hello everybody, this is our 13th and final sermon in the series looking at the book of Exodus. Today we're looking at Exodus 19 through to verse 21 of chapter 20. And this sermon is entitled Lessons from the Summit. Mountains are special places. In fact, for me, they are often very spiritual places. On a mountaintop, God often gets to work. When you arrive at the summit of a mountain, the first thing you do is look back. As you trace the steep path you have conquered, there is a sense of achievement, a sense of all the challenges you have overcome. When I'm out walking, I often find myself reflecting on all that has been in my life, all that God has brought me through. But then as your breath comes back, a new emotion starts to take over. Glory, this is amazing. Here I am at the roof of the world and I'm tiny. You start to look about you and suddenly the enormity of life strikes home. I don't plan for it, but nearly every time I reach a summit, I find myself praying out loud to God. Sometimes I even sing. Somehow on a mountaintop, I feel closer to the creator God. Yeah, then a third moment of reflection comes. After enjoying the view, you start to plan the way back down. You begin to look ahead. When I leave the summit of a hill such as Ben Vicar, I often find myself reflecting on what is to come in my life. What God may be leading me into in the days and months ahead. As I said, in my experience, mountains are special. The mountaintop is a spiritual place, a place where God often meets me and goes to work. But it's not just me. In the Bible, if you read that people are going up a mountain, you can be sure that something significant is about to happen. Our passage today is a prime example. From Mount Sinai, God chose to meet with his people. There he wanted them to look back and see his faithfulness in the past. He wanted them to worship in his presence. And he wanted to give them the direction they needed for all the days ahead. Chapters 19 and 20 are the high point of the whole book of Exodus, the spiritual summit. They're also going to form the climax of our current series. We're going to look at them while also trying to summarise all that we've learnt about God from the last 13 weeks. To enable this, I'm structuring this sermon around five key words that draw together some of the key themes. To help us remember them, they all begin with the letter P. The first word is promise. When Israel arrived at the foot of Mount Sinai, Moses knew that God had kept his promise. In fact, not just one promise, but two great promises of God were fulfilled at the mountain. Let us cast our minds back to the beginning of the story. Israel was suffering as slaves in Egypt. They cried out to God and we're told that he heard them. In that moment, an age-old promise of God swung into action. Let me read Exodus 2 verses 23 to 25. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. 
Many years previous, God had made a promise to Abraham. From Abraham's descendants, he would make a great nation. God would bless that nation and through them go on to bless the world. The promise was so solemn, God bound himself to it in a covenant. He loved this people and would never let them go. So when God saw Israel suffering so badly in Egypt, he was greatly moved by their plight. God remembered his promise and he knew he must act to rescue them. And that is precisely what he did. He came down and set a bush on fire to grab Moses' attention and to call him to the task of leading Israel out of their captivity. However, understandably, Moses was incredibly daunted by this task and began trying to excuse himself. Who was he, an 80-year-old shepherd, to lead God's people? Who was he, a wanted outlaw, to return to Egypt? Moses did not think he was up to the task in any way. This, though, is where the second promise came in. As the bush burned that day, God made a promise to Moses as well. This is Exodus 3, 11-12. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. What mountain was it that the burning bush blazed upon? It was Mount Horeb, otherwise known as Mount Sinai. As Exodus 19 begins, after all that had taken place in Egypt and after the three months of hardship in the wilderness, Moses is suddenly back to the very place he was called. His journey has come full circle. On his arrival at Mount Sinai, Moses would have recognised familiar surroundings and realised that God had kept his promise to him. This is important. The events of Sinai only take place because of the supreme faithfulness of God. As Moses climbs the mountain and looks back on the journey he has travelled, he could see that God never breaks a promise. So how was it that these promises had been kept? What had enabled Moses and Israel to make it through all their trials? Well, our second key word is presence. As Moses looked back from the slopes of Mount Sinai, he could see how God had been present with them. Time and again, God had acted personally on their behalf. He had overseen all that had taken place. As God begins to speak to Moses on the mountain, this is the very first thing he reminds Moses of. Moses is to tell the people, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings. In the Old Testament, eagles are birds that care for the weak. They hover over their young, keeping them safe. Eagles are also fierce birds of prey that fight off predators and provide meat for their chicks. With these words then, God is reminding both Moses and the people of what he has done for them. God has personally protected them and provided for their needs. He has powerfully fought off all those set on doing them harm. Without God's presence, Israel would have been lost. But this importance of God's presence with his people continues. Listen to how the opening verse of God's instruction finishes. 
You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I brought you to myself. Wow. In essence, this is what the whole of the Exodus journey has been about. God has rescued Israel in the desire to bring them to himself. He wants to be in a relationship with them. He takes great delight in them. He wants to be with them and for them to be with him. As we have discovered during the restrictions of lockdown, the personal presence of our beloved family and friends is what we crave most of all. And so it is with God. It was then God's personal presence acting on Israel's behalf that enabled those promises to be kept. But it is also God's personal presence with his people that is the object of the whole exercise. As God said to Moses back in Exodus chapter 6 when he was outlining his plans, I will bring you out, I will free you, I will redeem you, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. It's important we realise that at Sinai, God does not just meet with Moses as he did back at the burning bush. At Sinai, God meets with all his people. That is why the event is so spectacular. God wants to be present with all his people. He wants to delight in his love for them and he wants all his people to know him in return. However, that said, Israel are about to learn that they can never take this presence of the Lord for granted. They can never take God lightly. The third key word for this passage is the word privilege. As God continues his opening words to Moses on Mount Sinai, he says this. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Again, wow. Out of all the nations on earth, God has chosen Israel as his treasured possession, his jewel in the crown. These words alone should give Israel a sense of being greatly privileged. They've done nothing to deserve this favour. Far from it, in fact. Their ungrateful grumbling over the last few months has shown that they did not deserve God's blessing at all. All that they have and will receive is down solely to God's grace. But as we know ourselves, when all we have is reported words to go on, it is easy for human beings to take God for granted. We all do it today. So at Sinai, God arranges a grand display that will burn into the conscience of the nation just what a privilege it is to be brought into the presence of the Holy God. Everything about this event is geared to magnify God's awesome being. This meeting occurs on a high mountain, a summit of creation. Even as God reveals himself, thick clouds are still required to conceal some of his majesty. Human beings are consumed if they see God completely. As God touches the earth, it trembles. As he descends, there are explosions of thunder, lightning and smoke. As God speaks, trumpets blast and his words resound with power. To be in God's presence is so dramatic that people are terrified by it. 
At the end of our reading, they were left pleading with Moses to act as their go-between. This is verses 18 and 19 of chapter 20. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mounting in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. But Moses replied to them, do not be afraid. We have to take the imagery of this passage seriously. Human beings cannot encroach on the ground of the holy God. We cannot treat him as ordinary. God is unique and will always be beyond our comprehension. God is awesome and transcendent and must be approached in reverent fear. In fact, this passage shows us that we cannot even begin to think about approaching God unless he has first made a way for it to be possible. That is what all those instructions about washing and abstaining from sexual relations were all about. God was teaching the people how to purify themselves so they might be ready for this moment of incredible communication. What a privilege it is to come into God's presence. What a privilege it is to have this awesome, holy God make promises to you and give his all to keep them What a privilege to be counted as part of his people. However, alongside this privilege comes purpose. This is the fourth key word. Purpose. God loves his people. Israel are his treasured possession. But they are soon to discover that God chose them for a purpose. God loves Israel so that through them he can extend his love to all. God is with them so that he can bring many other people groups into his presence. As God continues to speak to Moses, the words that come next are some of the most important in the whole of the Old Testament. They explain to us what God is up to as he chose Israel to be part of his plan for restoring the world after the fall. Listen to chapter 19 verses 5 and 6. Out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's right, Israel had to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That is their calling, that is their purpose. But what does that mean? In the Old Testament, priests had two basic tasks. They were to represent humanity to God, and they were to represent God to humanity. First, they were to pray on behalf of the people, seeking God's help for their needs and pleading for their forgiveness through the sacrifice system. But then they were also to act on behalf of God, teaching the people through words and action who God is and how the people were to respond to him. So to be a kingdom of priests is to be a people who act on behalf of the world around them, and do their best to teach other nations about God so they can come to know his love for themselves. And of course, holiness goes very much alongside this role of priesthood. To be holy is to be set apart. To be a holy nation, then, is to be a shining, attractive alternative to the darkness of the world. When the people urged Moses to act as their go-between because they were afraid that they would die in God's presence, Moses reassured them. They were not to be afraid. 
God had revealed himself amid thunder and lightning, fire and smoke to put a reverent fear in their hearts, a fear that would keep them from sinning, a fear that would keep them holy. If Israel could live as a holy nation in the world, the surrounding nations would start to take notice. They would start to ask why Israel was so different. They would come up to Israel to find out, and then Israel would have the chance to tell them about God, to act as priests on their behalf. This is mission by attraction. This is God's plan for how his blessing could pour into Israel and then through them pour out into the wider world. Now we're beginning to get the full picture of this book. God rescued Israel from Egypt so they could be his people and serve him in this way. He loved them and wanted to use them to extend his love to others. Now Israel are free. This is the purpose that to live their lives around. This is the forward journey that is being plotted as Moses descends the mountain to pass on God's call to the people. This then brings us to the final key word, provision. Throughout the Exodus story, we have seen God provide for his people exactly what they need, just when they needed it. When Moses wobbled, God gave him his name, his staff and Aaron to speak for him. When Israel left Egypt, God provided for their future by getting the Egyptians to give them all their gold and silver. As they came to the trap of the Red Sea, God provided a way through it. As the people got hungry and thirsty, God provided water, manna and quail. As the people wandered in the wilderness, God provided a pillar of cloud and fire to guide them. Because God was always present with his people, he always knew their needs and set about providing for them. Well, now that God has called Israel to their new purpose in life, he provides for them again. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them the law. We so often misunderstand the law in the Old Testament. It was not a bad thing. Rather, it was a very good thing. It was not a punishment. Rather, it was a gift. It was not the means by which Israel could be saved, because God had already saved them and made them his people before the law was even given. No, the law was given to Israel as guidance. It was to teach them how to live as genuinely free people, something they'd never had chance to do before. The law was there to show them how to live out their calling as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Think about it. What would the world look like if every person put God first in their lives and there was no idolatry? What would the world look like if there was no blasphemy and on a Sabbath everybody stopped and rested with God? What would the world look like if parents were respected and there was no murder, adultery, stealing, lies or jealousy? What would the world look like without all those things that cause so much pain and brokenness? What would the world look like? Well, it looked like heaven. It would look like God. It would be all that God intended, life at its very best. Still today, the Jews see the law as God's great provision to them. Back then, Israel knew that if they lived their lives by this law, they would know God's blessing and that blessing would soon pass on to their neighbours. The law there was not a burden to them, but it was there to help them, to help them be God's servants, both then and for all the generations to come. We will think more about the law and its purpose when we read Exodus again later in the year. 
But for now, I want to close our series with a summary. Reading Exodus through this pandemic has really accentuated these five points to me. As we have read together, I I think we've been encouraged to see that God always keeps his promises. When under attack by this virus, God's promise to defeat the enemies of his people still holds true. Even in the darkness of lockdown, God has remained present with us. He's never abandoned us, but has always been working to bring us through our difficulties. As a church, we've sensed how privileged we are to be God's people. While many around us have been struggling to go on, we've known a hope that has held us firm. We've also been reminded of our purpose. Just as God helped his people in Egypt, we are to help the suffering people around us. We've done that through prayer, telephone calls and little acts of voluntary service. We've done that through supporting IJM. And just as God provided for Israel's needs in their trials, we have found reason to believe that God will go on providing for us today. Indeed, we've seen many prayers answered over the last 12 months, including healing and people coming to faith. As we now leave Exodus and journey on into Holy Week, I think we see these five themes re-emerge. The events of the cross and the empty tomb were God keeping his promises of old. Jesus was God present on earth, for only God could save us from evil, sin and death. The privilege of being in God's presence and part of his people is never seen more clearly than when we look at the horror of the cross. The lengths that Christ went to in order that we might know God and be with him forever are truly humbling. At Easter we're reminded again of our purpose. The risen Lord Jesus calls us to go and tell others that he's alive and king of all. And of course, Easter provides the way for God's provision of the Holy Spirit. Through the Spirit, God's law is written on our hearts and we're empowered to keep it. By the Spirit, we're enabled to live holy lives once more. These are five key themes in Scripture. As we stand on the summit of Sinai, we see the importance of them. As we move on from here, trusting in the faithfulness and ongoing presence of God, we seek to live as his people, passing the message of them on to others.